started a message last week, um, a message series called Selfless. And uh, does anyone remember that? Was anyone here? Yep, some of you are here. And Phil talked about being bold in witness. It's a really selfless thing to actually step outside our comfort zone and to be bold. And today, as Phil's um, preempted, we're going to be, talk- be talking about being faithful in service. And when I was thinking about that word selfless the last couple of weeks, I think we can't help but notice, can we, that the world we live in is incredibly not selfless. It's incredibly selfish, self-centered, self-gratifying, self-promoting culture. In fact, that term self-promotion has become become a very acceptable term, something people strive for, to self-promote in a good way. In fact, um, I have told my kids they need to do exactly just that in resumes and going for job interviews. You need to talk yourself up, promote yourself a little bit because they're all scared of actually saying things that are good about themselves. But actually this self-promotion seems to have gone to a whole nother level. I googled, as you do, self-promotion this week and there was, these were just three of the titles of articles that came up straight away. The Art of Self-Promotion, Six Ways to Get Your Work Discovered. Forbes wrote one called Self-Promotion is a Skill. And when I read that article, it was basically the vibe was, if you want to be successful in society, you better learn how to promote yourself because otherwise you'll be the dregs of society. They even use that word in that article, dregs. You've got to promote yourself out of the dregs. And what about this one? Are they all up there? 40 ways to self-promote without being a jerk. (laughs) It was basically talking about humility in self-promotion, quite funny really. But we, apparently to survive today, we need to get good at self-promotion. And in this self-promoting, self-centered culture, Jesus teaches a very, very diametrically opposed way of living. He says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you don't promote yourself. He says, you deny yourself. You pick up your cross. In other words, you die to your selfish natures and you follow my way. If you want to be great, Jesus said, you don't promote. Because actually, Matthew 23, 11, Jesus says, the greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus' followers are not called to do this self-promotion thing or to live selfish, self-centered lives. But instead, he calls us, in fact, it's more of an invitation to live a better, selfless life. In fact, taking on the very nature of a servant, he says, In other words, as Jesus' followers, it's not just that we are to serve, it's not just that we do the action of service, it's actually something who we become, it reflects who we are. A servant at the core is who we're called to be. And if you've read the front of your messenger while you're waiting there this morning, or you've been on our Facebook page during the week, you would have noticed that I posed a question. What would others say you're always doing? What, what do you always do? Maybe just take a moment. Maybe whisper to the person next to you if you trust them what you think that people say you always do. What are people saying you're always doing? <laughs> I just heard, if that's okay, I just heard Cheryl say to Phil, you're always on your phone, which was one of my examples. We all are, we all are, always on our phone. Maybe they say... Um, you're always finding fault or you're always criticising or you're always whinging. Maybe they say you always see the potential people or you're always being optimistic. And for a pessimist, that can be annoying or a realist, I'd like to say. Maybe they say that um, you're always talking about other people 
or that you're always encouraging? What, what are people saying you're always doing? In Acts chapter 9, verse 36, um, Luke tells us about a disciple named Tabitha. She's the first woman described as a disciple. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. I think Tabitha's a much nicer name. Um, Interestingly, she's not just the first Greek disciple mentioned, she's actually the first Greek woman mentioned in the New Testament. And her name means gazelle. And so some people would say that she was beautiful. Some scholars think her name, she was named Dorcas because she was beautiful. Now, we don't know that. But what we do know about her is what she was always doing. I love that. We don't really know if she was beautiful or not, but we know what she was always doing. It says, Acts 9.36... In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. She was always doing good and helping the poor. What a beautiful summary of someone's life. She actually made clothing and she'd give it um, to those who were struggling and she helped the widows in her community. And her ministry was evidently so important that when she died, um, God sent Peter to raise her um, from the dead. Like she had work to do, like she had to keep going. And this little revival broke out in her community because she was always doing good and helping the poor. Instead of self-promoting, making her her name big for herself, she was selfless, using what she had to make a difference for God and for people's lives. She was faithful in service. So this morning, I just want to take a few moments for us to consider what does it look like for us to be faithful servants? You might say, I can't make clothes to give to the poor. They would look pretty bad. They would be pretty cold if I made clothes. Maybe you say, I can't bake food like some people do in our church so beautifully. Maybe you think I don't have the skills to counsel someone. Maybe you feel like you don't have the skills to lead someone to Christ. Maybe you feel like you don't have much money to give and you think, how can I make a difference? And so this morning, I'm just going to keep it really simple, and we're going to look at three images from the Word of God, three stories. Don't you love the stories in God's Word? They're so amazing. And we're going to look at three stories, three images, hopefully memorable, that will help and encourage us just to be faithful servants where we are, day in and day out. So those are the three images. I'm going to like give away all my notes right up front. So three points. We can bring a lunch, we can offer a ride, and we can carry a towel. Bring a lunch offer a ride, carry a towel. We good? You happy to go there this morning? Seem simple enough, right? Excellent. So firstly, we can bring a lunch. And the idea behind this is that we can serve without needing to be seen. We can do something small and insignificant, but it can have great impact. There's a story from the Old Testament about King David. King David was a war hero, and he rose to notoriety when he defeated which giant? Goliath. You're listening. That's encouraging. And when he'd come back from battle, not so much just from that battle, but as he was a warrior, he went out and he won so many battles. When he'd come back, the women would stand in the street and they'd actually gather and they would sing songs to him and about him. They would sing things like, here comes David, he's a hero, as he was walking down the street. Like this guy had reason to have a big head. I'm going to really regret singing later on because you're all going to point it out. Okay, but why was this guy so great? Was he great because he won all the battles? I'm sure ultimately that's why they sung to him. But I actually reckon that God saw him as great because he was willing to bring a lunch, to serve without needing to be seen. You see, David was the man after God's own heart. That's how God referred to him. Because he had the heart of a servant right from the early days. So what do I mean by the lunch? Well, David was the youngest of eight 
brothers. No wonder he was a good servant. He would have had to be, right? He was the son of a man named Jesse. And the older brothers one day were out fighting at war, or at least preparing to fight. And the father said, Jesse said to David one day, son, I need you to do something important. It might not look important, but it's important to me and it's important to your brothers and ultimately it's important to God. Might not be seen as great, but God will see you. He says here, 1 Samuel 17, verse 17 and 18. One day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. In other words, hey David, you want to fight one day in the battle? Here's a little job, might seem little, but is pretty important today. You have to bring a lunch. You have to serve without being seen. You have to be faithful in the small things, in the insignificant things, in the things that aren't visible to others. What you may do might feel like it's behind the scenes. What we may do most of the time might feel like it's not even noticed. But greatness in the kingdom of God, remember, is not about self-promotion. It's not about being noticed, but it's about serving, being a servant. The greatest among you, Jesus says, is a servant. And the heart behind that is being obedient, serving without needing to be seen in the small things as well as the big things. So we can bring a lunch. We can be simply obedient. We might never become out in the open seen as a great hero, but those small things are so, so important. Secondly, we can offer a ride. I'm not suggesting you pick up hitchhikers. That's not this point, so don't need to listen to, to hear what I'm saying this morning. But it's about another attitude, I suppose. It's about a posture of, God, whatever I have is yours. There's an Old Testament prophecy that was given 553 years before this event ever took place. Zechariah the prophet prophesied that one day the king would come riding into the streets on a donkey. And this prophecy would have blown people's mind because a king doesn't ride on a donkey. At the very least, he'd come in in a beautiful white horse or something. People would be going crazy. But Jesus, he fulfilled this prophecy and he said to his disciples, I'm going to need you to go and get me a donkey. And if anyone asks you why, here's what you're to tell them. Luke 19 verse 31. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. What a simple attitude of service. Something's provided just because the Lord needs it. How can we be faithful in our service? Offer something. Offer what we have. Might be a donkey. For most of us, it's probably not. But that's exactly what this business person in the New Testament did. What I love about this story is we don't know the donkey owner's name. We don't know what he did for a living. We, we do know that he owned this donkey and he may have owned others. But to own a don- donkey was a bit of a luxury and most people only owned them to let them out. Business people, in other words. And this guy simply said, yes, take what I have. Here's the ride. Now, he had every right, because if you read the story a bit closely, this donkey had never been ridden before. He was a young, energetic donkey. But this man doesn't say, oh, 
I didn't realise you were asking for my low mileage, never ridden before donkey. I mean, this donkey isn't your average little eeyore. This donkey's got low mileage. It's, um, you know, he's got new hoofs or whatever. Um, it's upgraded, you know. This is the top model. This is the best I have, so it's going to cost you a little bit more. You know, I'll give Jesus my basic old donkey here, but not the one that's never been ridden, not my fresh donkey. No, nah, he didn't say that. Fresh donkey, yeah, okay, that sounds funny. <laughs> Whatever, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's going to cost you a little bit more. No, it's not. He said, this is what I have, and if the Lord has need of it, I'm willing to offer what I have. God, what I have is yours. That's a servant-hearted attitude. I'm willing to serve without being seen, and God, what I have is yours. It might be significant, it might be little, but whatever I have is yours to use. Ask me what, what you will. We can bring a lunch. We can offer a ride, offer whatever resource we have. And thirdly, this morning, we can carry a towel. Now, I'm sure some of you have already guessed what story I'm going to tell. Because if you've been here any more than about five minutes, you'll know that I love this story. And you would have heard me preach about it before. The, the setting is the upper room. Jesus was seated there with his disciples and he knows that he's about to give his life. Think about the magnitude of that. In other words, the very reason that he's here at this dinner is because he's about to die. He's about to suffer in a big way. And what happens? But an argument breaks out around the table. And what's the topic of the argument? Who is the greatest? It's quite funny when you think about it, not funny in a ha-ha way, but it's quite ironic. Jesus is about to give his life and his disciples around him start arguing, who is the greatest? That's exactly the argument that broke out. And you can almost imagine each of the disciples pitching in their part. I can almost imagine John saying, well, I'm the one that Jesus loves. Do you know how annoying John was, the disciple John? I mean, he wrote this whole book. He refers to himself in the third person, says, John, the disciple that Jesus loved, as if he didn't love the other ones. So you can just imagine he would have, you know, got the goat, so to speak, of some of the other disciples. And I'm sure Peter would have said, well, you know, I'm the one that got out of the water and walked to Jesus. He invited me out. And others would have said, yeah, but you only took three steps and then you sunk. And then Paul Bartholomew probably said, oh, well, what about me? I'm the greatest. And, and everyone would have said, Bartholomew, are you even a disciple? Who even knows about you? Like he's one of the least known disciples of all, right? But just think about it. What a trivial argument. Who is the greatest when their Lord and Saviour is about to give his life? We might not argue as explicitly as those disciples. I don't think I've ever had a discussion with any of you trying to tell me that you're the greatest. And I don't think I've ever said to anybody that I should be the greatest either. But we have that same root attitude sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves. We think our ideas are better than others and we scoff at them. Or we get put off when things aren't done the way that we think. Or things aren't handled the way that we would deal with them. Or we think we could have done a better job at something and yet we're really just standing on the sidelines criticising. Or we don't want to give up any of our own personal time to try to advance the kingdom of God. We don't want to give up our own plans to follow God's plan. We're really saying we're the greatest. Our ideas are the greatest. My thoughts, my needs are the greatest. It's not very selfless sometimes. So Jesus is sitting at the table knowing he didn't come to be served but to serve others. And he looks around and he sees proud hearts and dirty feet. 
And so what does he do? Well, the scripture, scripture says in John 13, 4 to 5, it says, So Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. You know, this would have been a scandalous act of service. Everyone there is going, no, Jesus, you, you can't do this. Not you, not, not to me. I mean, the host never washed feet. That was something that the servants or, or the, you know, the slaves would do, but not the host. But Jesus puts on an apron. He gets down on his hands and knees. He takes a bowl. He carries a towel and he starts washing feet. The Son of God, the light of the world, the chosen one, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He humbles himself. He says, no job is beneath me. Jesus didn't come to serve, but to, sorry, to be served, but to serve others. And as followers of Jesus, that's our job too. Never to be served, but to serve others. To have that attitude, no job is beneath me. How do we come to be great? We bring a lunch. We serve without needing to be seen. We offer a ride. We say, God, I don't have much or I do have much, but either way, what I have is yours. Tell me how to use it best. And we carry a towel. We don't think of ourselves as being greater than someone else, but we're willing to do whatever is required. You know, for every single one of us who are Jesus followers, I would suggest that we each need to be consistently serving in some place, you know, to sign up for a job, whether it be in our church, whether it be in a community center, whether it be, you know, in your local neighborhood, but sign up for some sort of service where you're regularly, you know, week in, week out, serving people in the name of Jesus and with the love of Jesus. Put in the diary, you know, things that go in the diary are things that get done. Do something regularly. But I also think regardless of what our regular service looks like, some of these stories show us that actually it's not just about doing a set job. It's about an attitude. And I would encourage you every morning to wake up. I would definitely encourage you every morning to wake up. That's a real good start. And to say, God, this is the day you've made. It's your day. And I want today to be more about you than it is about me. Give me your thoughts. Give me eyes to see people the way you see them. Give me eyes to see who's in need and what I can do today, whether I can bring a lunch, whether I can offer something that I have, and that something might be a conversation, a bit of your time. How can I serve today you, God, by serving other people? Prompt me, you might say to God's spirit. Prompt me. I can be slow. I can be deaf. Prompt me as to how I can better serve, more faithfully serve day in, day out. You may prompt me to bring a lunch. You may prompt me to offer a ride. You may prompt me to carry a towel and to do something that I sometimes think is beneath me. But whatever you need, God, the answer is yes.